0: Welcome to the Strategist episode 1031. I'm your host Annalise Klingfield, and with you as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. You know we're we spe- live. We're together. How we are spent you? some
1: time rehearsing that, and you still fucked it up, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Carter. It was okay. Do you, it's okay. Do you we'll know clean it up. My microphone post. and headphones were working at the beginning of this. Mine Listen. and whose were not yours.
1: Okay, that's an excellent point. But
0: my I mean, stuff's we, not a good We always clean work.
1: it up in post. It's- yeah.
0: I I thought that was like having not listened much, Carter, I thought the tech issues were kind of a shtick, but I'm realizing that's just Oh you. no, the
1: tech issues are real. And it drives Corey yeah. crazy. Like Corey you can actually see Corey aging. When I every time I drop off, he gets older. His he- how forehead, is yeah. more time. massive. What we've decided. How, how does is- it happen
0: every time? Just fix it.
1: My computer does not support extra monitors. So when I'm on this, it gets really dicey. But now can I've, you taken get a out, new computer? I've taken out all the monitors, right? So all I can see you guys on is one monitor. It's very upsetting.
0: Why do you this need multiple monitors? Well, how am
2: I
1: supposed to well, do the he's research? he's
2: got his sports bets open on one no. side. Hey, and, don't uh, pretend like you don't
0: research. His Google image searches. While,
1: while Zane's asking his in it, it, really long questions. Both of us will be known to be researching and finding...
0: Oh, that's why you like the long
1: questions. The long question all us together. That's why, yeah, because then, honestly, yeah. we're not listening to him at all when we're doing it. So that's what's happening. Well, that's that's 100%. True. Yeah,
0: you're just yeah. doing yeah. Google. Okay. Yeah. okay. Okay, I got it. Yeah.
2: Google image search. Heather won't let him turn off safe search, but he knows the keywords <laughs> they get close. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <It's> pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, that Heather. Um, you guys are good? It's been a while. What's what's new? Carter, have you been doing outdoor sports?
1: No, I didn't. I had a terrible weekend where I had to do uh like you know, around the house stuff and it was very upsetting. So we're gonna do outdoor mm. stuff this weekend. We're just debating whether or not to go downhill skiing or uh or fat biking. And it's supposed to be minus sixteen, so Heather's like on the fence. Her limit's minus fifteen. I don't understand it.
0: You should go. Go rip those groomers, Corey. Oh, hey, do you hey. Have, this, do you have a hey. weekend plan?
1: So upsetting.
2: This section is even more riveting than the previous section. That's what <laughs> I think. Talking about the outdoors, it was a good weekend. It was a substantive weekend because I am an adult who does substantive things. That's not our experience. I went to the you. office, took care of business. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, on that riveting note, I think uh, I think our two minutes... Is you know not what? Maybe we shouldn't do
2: kibitz
1: at the front anymore. Annalise turns yes. out to be even more boring than Zane. I did not even think that <laughs> that was possible.
0: Speaking, speaking of Zane, have you guys got him a present? I've had people asking me, um, have you dropped off food or gotten him a present? His baby's like, had, how old? Two weeks old?
2: Had, I think it's like in high school or yeah, something. Yeah, it I don't needs know. I don't pay presents
0: attention. and he needs food. Heather and Lori uh, listened
1: to that episode and uh, apparently they've gotten together and have chosen to do a uh, give certificate or something. I'm not paying attention. Guys
0: are such mean
1: friends. What do you mean? He didn't get me fuck all when I had kids. What did he get you, Corey? Nothing.
2: Uh, he probably got me something super thoughtful, actually. I just, you know, I don't remember because I don't, I don't know. That's just not our relationship. Yeah. Um, he probably got me something, and because he worked for me at the time, I then probably said, "That's great, Zane. Where are the deliverables yeah. that the client wants? Get back to work."
1: Yeah, sounds like you, Okay, yeah,
0: okay. good start. Well, Analyze. now the you're th- killing it today, yeah. killing it. <laughs> now, now the that's <laughs> cleared, uh, we, we're get, we're gonna jump in. You know, we've had uh, we were supposed to record on Sunday. Then we were supposed to record on Monday. And here we are. Tuesday night, uh, we're doing this.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, we had to do a bit of a search through our emails to find the recording link, and um, we understand that that basically takes three days. Yeah. And so we f- we got there uh, using our nonpartisan spouses, yeah. but uh, it took a bit of time to get yeah. there. Yeah, for sure. Two
0: days, and uh, and we we have the link. Here we are. So. Uh, on that note, let's, let's jump into it with our first segment. Our first segment is called, is help on the way? Um, on Monday, Alberta's UCP announced more than 3,000 hip and knee surgeries will be contracted out to a private healthcare facility. Health Minister Jason Copping stood at a podium sign that said, help is on the way. And he said this will reduce wait times. The opposition NDP say this will do lasting harm to the healthcare system, and it's a chaotic rush towards privatization. This comes after Doug Ford's government in Ontario announced plans to allow more medical procedures to be done by for-profit healthcare providers. Um, that's a move that's worth noting Prime Minister Trudeau has called innovative, according to the Toronto Star. So I want to dive into this broader issue of privatizing healthcare from the strategy perspective. Um, you know, healthcare, it's always such a conundrum for provinces. It's, it's a big beast and it's not normal times, right? We've had uh, almost three years of COVID, crises in hospitals, staff shortages, et cetera, et cetera. So Carter, let's start with you. Is, is allowing medical procedures to be done by private healthcare providers, is this a good strategy in Canada?
1: Yeah, it's done every day in Canada. Um, If you go to your doctor, you're going to a private medical corporation. If you go and see a surgeon, you're going to see a private medical corporation. There are a few doctors that are on, uh, you know, alternative compensation platforms. I can't remember the exact uh, three-letter acronym, but uh, there are a few doctors that are on that, but most of them aren't right? So if you go to any clinic, if you go to your doctor's office, if you, you know, the walk-in clinics, you are going to privatized health care. If you go to a hospital and you are seen by a specialist, you are experiencing private health care. This idea of public versus private delivery, we have, in the Canada Health Act, it is determined that we should have public administration. It does not say anywhere in the Canada Health Act that the delivery needs to be by some sort of public entity. In, and in fact, anywhere you go in the Country, you will find private service delivering our public healthcare system. Uh, that is the nature of the game. It is unfortunate that we have not used it to inspire competition, but instead we have used it to reduce competition, which I think is one of the big mistakes. If you really wanted to do privatized healthcare properly, you would have uh, healthcare organizations competing with one another. Right. So when you go to get your car, you know, your your eye surgery, um, there would be a competition because the technology changed uh, and made it so much easier to do technology to do eye surgeries. But we kept the prices the same. Right. Because we didn't have competition in the sur- in the system to actually drive down the, the, the actual prices. Now, part of that no competition is because the doctor's unions or the doctor's associations, the AMAs of the world are working really hard to make sure that we don't have competition from the from the private doctors. But this is a private world and I will remind you and I've reminded people before when I fell on my mountain bike and separated my shoulder I went and had to go get a private MRI at a time when the NDP was the government in Alberta. Right? The NDP took no steps to reduce the amount of privatization in healthcare in Alberta because it turns out that it's one of the most efficient ways of actually delivering healthcare. Now it would be more efficient if the government could actually figure out how to get competition. But right now, no government has been able to figure out competition in healthcare, especially in the United States, where they have private healthcare with very little competition.
0: So your your lines of um, the the private already exists, and we see it in in doctors' clinics and such. Sound I, we hear that from the UCP. We hear that again and again. I, the NDP is coming up strong and hot with this you know, we're going to push back against privatization. Um, this is a chaotic rush, et cetera. Do you, we've got an election in a couple months here in Alberta. Do you think um, from a strategy perspective – what do you think of the NDP's framing of this issue?
1: Listen, the NDP have done nothing to address privatization in healthcare in Alberta. They've done nothing. When Sarah Hoffman was the the Minister of Health, she didn't reduce the number of private clinics. She didn't make, you know, the private clinics went out of business because they went bankrupt. Um, I would imagine that we'll probably wind up bailing out more private operators uh, as we move through this. But it's not, there, there was no reduction in the amount of private care. Um, all it is is a difference in how much private rhetoric there is. Uh, and, and rhetoric doesn't make our healthcare system better. If, if you want our, our system to be better, I'm fine. If you want to actually remove private care, then you're going to have a battle with the doctors like we've never seen um, because the doctors want to be private enterprises. I would argue that we shouldn't have private care uh, in public, in the, especially in the delivery of, of uh, primary health care. But the way we're set up, almost all of it's going to be delivered by private care.
2: Corey, what's your take? Yeah, I, I mean, Carter, as usual, is, is wrong on the facts I'm not wrong on the, kind of wrong will, on the theory. Oh, my God. Here, you know, and the funny thing is I don't even know that we're going to ultimately disagree a ton. But let's just have – if you want to have an honest conversation about health, let's have a honest conversation about health. First, it's not like the NDP did nothing to make it more public. There was the creation of Alberta Public Labs, the idea being that you would have this big public provider of all lab services became the, Alberta oh, Precision sorry. Labs under the UCB. Did it actually happen? And. Yes, and then it became Alberta Precision Labs under the UCP, and now we've got more private activity that's going in there. They put more doctors under contract, which you yourself was just talking about instead of fee-for-service. A small percentage. There were steps. A small percentage. Okay. Tiny. Look at those goalposts move right in front of our eyes. No. Nothing done to not very much done. (laughs) But, Carter, you know, I think ultimately my problem with the – UCP answers, the NDP response, even your random ramblings that we've just been subjected to here. And and frankly, Canadians as a whole, the way we talk about healthcare is that we talk about it in like the laziest, most superficial way humanly possible. Healthcare is over twelve percent of the GDP of this country. More than one in ten dollars of the GDP is related to health care. And we just say healthcare. Right? We talk about healthcare, the Department of Healthcare. That, that includes so many things, uh, procured in a baffling number of ways. And you're right. There's a lot of private interest in healthcare. When we go out and we buy bandages, we put them out to RFP. And if the price of bandages has gone down, we, we pay less. When we talk about custodial services, we've seen all sorts of C-sign back and forth between what is done with public employees versus what is done with private sector. And when we talk about, uh, you know, doctors, Maybe not physicians directly, but there's reverse auctions for lots of things here. What I think really frustrates me is that people have this knee-jerk reaction to privatization. And Carter, you're right about one thing. There's a lot of private healthcare delivery in this country, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not like – There are situations in healthcare where private delivery makes sense, and there are situations in public healthcare where private delivery should make us all very nervous. I'll just throw out a couple of examples here. If there is an activity that I would call defined action, defined outcome, that's actually pretty good for private healthcare, right? You find those efficiencies of scales. You get business people thinking about how they're going to deliver it. You reverse auction those services. You get it as cheap as possible. MRIs. X-rays, those come to mind pretty immediately. There was a time when it required a lot of expertise and a lot of time, and so you were stuck paying big bills. The price has not gone down as the costs have have scaled down, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the one people point to a lot. That's pretty evident. But there are situations where I'm not really convinced that I want a private interest sitting there thinking, okay, I'd like to get them out of the office so I can get on to the next patient now. Diagnostic medicine. What's wrong with you? Well, I can make a diagnosis in five minutes and make X dollars, or I can make a diagnosis in 20 minutes, and I'm only going to make a third of that. Don't love that. Don't love that at all. And there's many things in between there's chronic care, there's all sorts of things we can support and and frankly, this is my point. We've got to have a more honest conversation about healthcare care, but that begins by saying health care is not just healthcare care. healthcare care is a million things, and some of them we need to treat differently than other parts of it to keep the system intact, but also to keep the system sustainable Corey, how but, what-
0: do you have that like how do you have that in in talking points um you're the comp stat. Yeah. How, how do you go about like more of a fulsome conversation um, when we know the political environment that we're in both provincially as well as nationally?
2: Well, you don't have it before an election. And so what makes sense about what the NDP is doing is they're latching on to something very real in the Canadian psyche, which is an anxiety about creeping privatization of healthcare, And we have this like crazy negative example just south of us. I mean, what's so funny about this continent is we have in Canada like an insanely extreme example of public delivery. Like we, we lock you out of the system if you're not fully in on public. And in the United States, we have this insane example of private where if you don't have the money, you're going to die, right? Like we just – we will not pick you up no matter what happens. But most of the world doesn't act like either of our systems, right? You've got French model. You've got the UK model. You've got the German model, just to name a couple of, of countries that could be considered peers, that can allow for more interplay here. But because we share a continent with this insane country, any privatization is seen as very scary. So the NDP knows that, and the NDP's latched on to that. And the NDP has decided to take the position that they're going to use the specter of private health care. And I don't blame them. I think it's pretty smart politics because the conversation I talked about – even if it's what I thought the conversation was that the UCP wanted to have, and I don't actually believe that's what they're driving towards here, that takes years or decades even. Like that's a long lead conversation and, and that requires a certain amount of public education and an investment in it and also putting aside the political cheap points for a couple of years, maybe right after being elected. Now is not the time for that conversation.
1: I just wish that we could stop talking about, I mean, the, the real big issues in Canadian healthcare aren't about private delivery versus public delivery. Uh, private is, private one, private's all the way through it. What we should be talking about is how we're going to increase access and how do we ensure that we've got the comp- comprehensive system that we want. Fully, we talk about a fully comprehensive system, but we stop at the teeth. Right. Uh, we won't help with food, you know, but we'll help. We'll get you a new hip, which costs 100 grand or whatever, but we won't give you food. There's a lot of holes in the system that are kind of giant places. You know, we, we've been talking about pharmacare care for the last number of years. Um, if privatization of certain services in healthcare under a public administration enables us to be more efficient to do more with the system. I'm for it. But Corey talked about diagnosis, uh, diagnostics. One of the great areas where we are really stuck in a private healthcare model is in primary care. It is a fee for service model where the more people you pump, you get the same fee regardless of the diagnostic challenges. So when you go in, you'll now see primary care physicians saying one ailment at a time. The problem with one ailment at a time is that they all might be connected. And all of those ailments that you might have actually might be something that is complicated and difficult. And complicated and difficult is not rewarded in today's system. And that's one of the big... Want to know why we've got an opioids crisis? Want to know why we've got mental health crisis? Because those things aren't compensated for properly within our primary care system. So we've got this I mean, prime.
2: Part of the reason
1: I'm what is sure this? I'm going to do the whole thing. I'm going to bring. I'm going to bring out prescription for Health here and go through everything page by page. It's a podcast. We simplify
2: all twelve percent of the GDC. Yeah, let's go.
1: I'm talking about primary care. I've already simplified. I mean, we've got we've got intensive care for palliative care. We've got in palliative care intensive care beds in in Alberta. That is literally an oxymoron. You can't have intensive care palliative care but we have it here in alberta because we haven't designed the system we haven't talked about what we want in the system because every time we start talking about what we want in a system we get dragged off into this discussion of public versus private which doesn't help one single patient get better care if we want to have a conversation about care we need to push away this public administration thing it's all going to be publicly administered who delivers it i don't care the fact is what i want is better care for canadians Better care for Canadians should be what people are talking about. So, mm, yeah. What do you mean, yeah?
2: You know, here's the thing. I do worry about where profit motives might be in the healthcare system. I just don't like there. Are, listen, you, you put me in charge of the world, I'm going to make some things in the healthcare system much more public, and I'm going to make many things much more private. I, and and I, to my point is, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution here, and we've got to get past the idea it is, because otherwise we're just going to be shouting past each other. You're going to have people on the right saying, look at MRIs. You're going to have people on the left saying, look at what happens, how they churn you through primary care. But both can be true. You can have both conversations at the same time, and we're not as a country, and that's a very dangerous place. So we're is angrily there, making the, the same
0: point? yeah. uh, better care for Canadians um is is the timing though I just want to dive into the timing a little bit because healthcare and you two both know this history much more than I do like it's it's long been an issue and we now have a time where the spotlight has been on it for several years um people are perhaps talking about doing things differently like where does the timing fit into this well
1: you know, we used to call. Uh, I mean, back in two thousand, when I was working with Joe Clark, we called healthcare the third rail of Canadian politics, and it remains the third rail. You touch it, and you die. Um, you know, the, the the only reason that the the UCP is touching it now is that they believe the majority of Albertans are on their side, right? They they believe in privatization. They think that most Albertans believe it in private healthcare, or in certain elements, at least being delivered privately. To Corey's point. Um, but really, any substantive change to healthcare is going to be extremely difficult to do. Uh, I used to be the board chair of a hospice here in Calgary, and people are so unaware of what happens within the system. They're so unaware of our bodies and how, how we how we actually die and what the processes are that it doesn't really matter. Uh, how good you think you're doing, you're going to wind up with unbelievably complex problems because in healthcare, people die, people get sick, people don't make it. And anytime that your auntie passes, you're going to be pretty cranky at the system because we have this mindset today that everybody lives forever. And because everybody lives forever, that the, the death shouldn't happen. And then they, you know, when skin gets bruised, when people are, are dying, they don't understand that the, the skin is an organ and the organs are shutting down. And, people don't drink water when they're dying so they look you know they think that they're getting you know killed by lack of hydration people die and we don't have a we don't have a mature conversation about healthcare we can't have a mature conversation about healthcare because we're stuck on these base principles that are meaningless to the overall discussion of healthcare
0: so how do we move past that
1: We had a plan in 2011 and the plan was to do the family care clinic and the family care clinic model was going to be designed to give people confidence again, confidence within the system. Because I think that the greatest problem that people have is that they, if you ask anybody, how was your experience within the healthcare system, they will tell you it was great because most of the time they have a great, a great interaction with the healthcare system, especially if you're very sick. If you're very sick in Canada, we will take unbelievably good care of you. But if you're not very sick, if you are barely sick, you're not going to have a very good experience within the system. And that undermines people's confidence in the entire system because most people don't get very sick. Most people barely get sick and they have bad experiences that that we have to find a way, not necessarily of reversing that because I don't want people who get sick to have bad experiences, but I want us to put more emphasis on the barely sick so that they feel like the system supports them too and that they will then have more confidence within the system.
2: So the problem with that though, the problem with that, especially in, in our system, I mean, let's just call it like it is here, is in our system, because we don't charge you for it, In order to make sure that there's not like an incredible demand on everything, we don't charge you money. We charge you time. We ration you through time. You think that you need this hip replacement. Nobody else agrees with you. Well, you're going to be on a list for 12 months, right? You think that you need to go to the emergency room. Triage has decided you're actually fine. You're going to be in the waiting room for 14 hours. And yeah, should it be 14 hours? No. Right? But but we, we intentionally and through design use time to reduce demand on the system because the alternative is there's just far too much demand and far more than is warranted by sort of the medical underpinnings of it all. So it's complicated, right? Yeah. Like all systems have to deal with scarcity and the way we deal with scarcity in the Canadian system is if – to Carter's point, if you really need it, hey, guess what? You're at the front of the line. You're there. We're going to take care of you. If we don't think you necessarily really need it, well, we're going to make you wait a bit. Challenge being – Doctors are fallible. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes you really needed it, and sometimes you were on a waiting list for six months.
0: Well, Corey, as you said, it's complicated. But then you're, we're also throwing politics into the mix, and we're throwing, you know, yeah. a new a, 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 an election every four years or whatever. So uh, you you mentioned kind of this knee jerk reaction to privatization let's talk about alberta specifically and with the election coming up um where where do you think kind of what the ucp is doing right now and how the ndp is ndp is reacting where is that sitting with voters
2: so the, the ucp has talked about we have to see more about their plans but th- there is this idea of help is on the way and we're going to give support for healthcare, and we're going to fund these things Some of that will be very popular, the funding of additional – you know, you you could imagine, for example, there is more primary care in your neighborhood. Or maybe even they'll go as far as like, hey, parking at AHS sites is free or going down or whatever they come up with. They'll put some popular things in the bundle. But what they appear to be doing is bundling it with some things that Canadians will have like a visceral knee-jerk reaction to, Albertans particularly here. And let's just get some ground facts out here. Albertans are not nuts about private health care, yeah. right? We're not different from the rest. If you're listening from somewhere else in this country, you might think like, well, Albertans probably want private health care. We don't. We don't. And the polling shows that. And in fact, if you ask Albertans who you trust to run the health care system, they're going to tell you the NDP. And in part, that's because of the NDP's strong opposition to private health care. So what I think is interesting about the UCP's approach here. And and probably fundamentally dangerous is we often have talked about the risk of the NDP running into the UCP's message box talking about oil and gas too much is, is like the er example here like it's the it's the one that overwhelms all the other ones I think about yeah. here. The UCP can make the same mistake, and they appear to be making the same mistake. Elevating the importance of healthcare and elevating a conversation about healthcare based on everything we know about public opinion does to me seem to play into the NDP. Like, if you make the ballot question about health care, they're not going to say, good job, Danielle. They're going to say, well, we better put Rachel Notley in charge.
0: Carter, you're nodding. You agree with Corey there?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that, you know, in terms of messaging – opportunities. The NDP has a much stronger position. I do think that the NDP's rather simplistic say no to uh, privatized healthcare is the right position to be taking. Corey's not wrong in that. I mean, it's a, first of all, it's a much simpler message. I just think they have no leg to stand on because they haven't really, you know, taken care of the the, the lack of, you know, the, the privatization that existed in the market before. But I think that... You know, the UCP, the, the The primary problem with the UCP and Danielle Smith is that Danielle Smith thinks that people think like her. And the UCP think that people think like her. And that means that they think in their circles, private healthcare is great. Private healthcare will help deliver, will solve all the world's problems. And so they, they, they jump in thinking, well, Albertans agree with us. And to Corey's point, they don't. Albertans are actually pretty, um, Reluctant to just, you know, rubber stamp privatized care. Uh, in fact, one of the only really great protests we've ever had uh, in in Alberta history, in my recollection, and, and others may remember differently, was the Bill thirteen um, protests when Ralph Klein uh, was bringing in the opportunity for more uh, privatization in healthcare. So I think, I think that Danielle has to be very careful what she's pushing, what she's pushing for. Um, because she could find herself, to Corey's point, really on the wrong side of of a significant issue um, that people vote on. People do vote on health care. We've, we've seen it a number of times. In fact, it was one of the reasons I think that we beat Gary Marr. Gary Marr was far more for private health care in 2011. We beat the shit out of him, and uh, ultimately Allison Redford became the premier.
2: Yeah, you know, it's so funny. It's one of those issues that I think the political class – Often has to almost make themselves interested or excited about healthcare, yeah. right? Uh, because, it, like, they, they, they care about things that nobody else cares about, like electoral reform and, and democratic renewal and <laughs> all of this shit. But healthcare touches our lives. We all get sick. We all lose loved ones. We're all going to die ourselves, to Stephen's very dark earlier point. True. Hey, happy Tuesday, True, everybody. <laughs> fucking cheerful yeah. strategist today. You're gonna die. Um, you're going to um, sooner
1: than later. You're welcome.
2: <laughs> well, but so we, we touch the healthcare system and it affects us in way. It makes us anxious. We don't want to mess with it. And, and um, I think that politicians forget that. And I, the UCP often forgets that people care about this and it shouldn't be messed with or it's messed with with peril to Stevens, like third rail point. And the NDP sometimes forgets and starts talking about other issues that have much less resonance with the general public. Uh, but these are the things – you know the the famous line in 92 in the in the election with uh, Clinton was it's the economy stupid. That's a very American answer to that. But I would argue that in the past 30 years in Canada it's healthcare stupid has probably been as resonant um in elections at least on the provincial level.
0: Carter just briefly and then I want to move on to our next segment. Can you just expand a little bit more on Bill 13 um and Klein and those protests for those who it was before? Our time, especially given that in in Alberta, we're not a protest environment. Like, it, it's hard to think of times where a lot of people have come out to protest.
1: Something. When would that have been? The 2003, 2004, Corey? When, when, 2000.
2: Uh, 2000, I think. Yeah,
1: so Ralph Klein, uh, this is the heyday of Ralph Klein. So Ralph Klein, you know, as... as people may not remember but he barely won his election in 2000 in 1993 uh, in 1997 he was in his heyday he he'd done all the things that he promised to do and he had a boom and he started to spend money but he also wanted to p- curtail healthcare spending because at that time I'm not sure where healthcare. it was bill 11 actually not bill 13 I just a- always assumed it was an unlucky number uh, I'm remembering now that bill 11 is Cory's uh, unlucky number um, but <laughs> what happened was they were bringing in and i don't remember the specifics of the bill in terms of what it would privatize but it basically opened the door it, it wasn't a specific this is what we're going to privatize it was an opening of the door to more privatization and the public service the public service coupled with um concerned albertans like this wasn't just a, a huge union movement i think the union the unions would be uh would, would would want to claim, obviously, some responsibility for it. But it was much bigger than just a unionized uh, protest. And it generated significant pushback to Klein so much that he actually uh, backed away from it, which was one of Klein's superpowers, the ability to um, say he made a mistake and back away from things. And, uh, I mean, I think that that's the risk that Danielle runs if she goes too far, I'm not sure that this particular bill would be going too far, but or these these changes would be going too far. The copying is announced, but still, uh, you have to be careful.
2: Yeah, you know, it's so funny. It, that was a bill that was kind of a, maybe early is the wrong word, but we think about all the time these Orwellian bill titles now, but that was called the Healthcare Protection Act, which was part of, I think, yeah. you know, you got all of these uh, colleges up in arms about it. Really was very interesting to see. The only protest I have seen that was comparable or maybe even larger in, in my time was the climate protests in Edmonton. So mm-hmm. I kind of also feel, by the way, watch this space because especially with younger generations, climate and the climate crisis is as big or bigger of an issue than healthcare. And, you know, maybe it's not changing elections now, but it's the only other thing I've seen galvanize people to that degree. Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Okay. Uh, let's leave it there and we'll move on to our next segment, which is called No One Got Cartered Yet. Um, <laughs> this segment title is a reference to our last episode, which was a Patreon exclusive. I thought you were going to um, say this myself. is brought to you
1: by Flair Airlines. Nobody moves, nobody gets hurt. Um, no, you,
0: well, you can say that. I, okay. I was going to give a plug for our Patreon, uh, oh, okay. there, Carter. Go ahead. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Well, do you want to do the flare ad first?
2: No, I just did the flare ad. It's over now. <laughs> no, but they're not not our sponsor. Keep-
0: <laughs> um. Anyways, you should get on Patreon. Listen to our last episode. I wasn't on it. Corey got me on it. It's good. You get perks. You get like this Discord group. It's Discord's not just for gamers. You can chat with uh, political nerds. Loads of perks get on Patreon. So no one got Cartered yet. Um, We're going to talk about the Premier Smith's office crown prosecutor interference story. It's not going away. So a tiny bit of background and then we'll jump into it. Um, On Thursday, CBC comes out with a story. The headline says Alberta Premier's office contacted crown prosecution about Coots case's sources. Again, we really dived into that on our Thursday episode. Uh, Go get it. Friday, surprise, no one got fired from Smith's office. Then it's Saturday, Smith does her chorus radio show, and she announces on the radio show that the government's IT department will do its own investigation. They'll probe staff emails. She says there's 34 staff members in her office, 400 crown prosecutors. So this will take a few days. Uh, Also on Saturday, there's an emergency caucus meeting, and surprise, there's no leaks out of it. Then it's Sunday. Some MLAs are in Calgary for Lunar New Year celebrations, including Brian Jean, um, who, who tells Global Premier Smith has the support of caucus. Then it's Monday, yesterday. Um, the results of the investigation are already ready. Surprise. Almost one million incoming, outgoing and deleted emails were reviewed. And the province says there's no evidence of emails between Crown prosecutors and the Premier's office. So that's my quick recap. Um lots going on here. I where do we start? You guys aren't pundits. You're strategists. So let's um let's dive into the announcement on Saturday that there would be this investigation. I know some people looked at it as this is Smith buying time. She's trying to buy herself a few more days to figure out what to do here um, because she doesn't want to get rid of a senior staff member. Corey, let's start with you. What what did you see as the strategy here with the investigation? And I guess, do you think, um, do you think it was a good move?
2: Well, there's a lot uh, to unpack. Some of it she did well, like just from a strategy point of view. And some of it I, I worry for her that she just kicked the can down the road and it's going to come back and haunt her, right? Uh, let's just start with some of the, the basic messaging around it here which i I can kind of sort of immediately discount is probably not super durable the idea that you searched a million emails in two days here's the thing that is this is such a funny one because in a way that investigation should take five minutes right you just do a simple log query has this person emailed that person right like any competent you know it professional could do that and so in some ways like two days is way more time than you need But if you're going to get like deep and forensic and start looking at all of the angles, then you're going to need way more than two days, right? You talk about a million emails – If you did one email a second, that would be 11 and a half days of emails. So that's not exactly a deep, thorough investigation. They're they're clearly like talking about searches at scale and really padding their number there. And I just don't think it's a very durable number for those reasons. Like, you know, all you need is another shoe to drop, an email coming from somewhere else. And all of a sudden, you're not just back where you were. It's worse because it starts to look like a cover-up. But things that I think she actually did pretty well on here. First of all... Engaging her caucus in this matter. The fact that there were no leaks is one thing, but the fact that she actually got them all together and said this is what's going on, you know, some suspicion just based on the time and all of that, that she must have managed to at least convince them in some way, shape, or form that there was not too much to it. Um I, I think that that's good. Like the, the instinct to bring the people in and not hide from them but say, okay, well, let's have it out. Let's have this conversation. Let's not let rumor win the day. Very smart. Very smart internal management. Maybe it was necessary. Maybe she didn't have a choice. Maybe there were calls for it. But that's the kind of thing you would want to see a leader doing with their caucus there. And um And then in terms of like where are we right now? I don't know. I mean like the CBC kind of putting the proviso of, oh, but we haven't seen the email. I don't think we assumed they'd seen the email. I think in fact in the Patreon we were like, well, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like they talked to multiple people with firsthand knowledge. Um, but that's starting to get a little bit awkward for CBC and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because they don't even need to be wrong. Right, But now there's sort of a message track that you're going to start seeing conservatives follow about like you can't trust CBC. They did this reporting inappropriately. Your mileage will vary on whether that argument works for you. But you now have like a whole other front and one where you're on the offensive in part because CBC acted with integrity and then said, you know, just for clarity, this is the state of the play here. But let me tell you, it's hard to assess the strategy of this without knowing what happened. If we are in a situation – where this did happen in some way, shape or form through private emails, you know, somebody else sent it, it was a phone call, not an email. And you know, there was just some sort of miscommunication on that. This is a bad strategy, <laughs> because you are ultimately increasing your pain. If it didn't happen, this is actually a pretty good strategy, because you're at least hedging and you're checking like the probabilities. And and you like I said, you've brought your team on board. And maybe you even made a common villain of the of the media, damn the media, right? I have personally sort of come to the conclusion, and it's just—it's just a guess. Like it's not even speculation; it's a guess that maybe, like maybe it's been right in front of us this entire time. Danielle Smith, we talked about going on these shows and saying, "Oh yeah, I called the crown prosecutors," yeah, right, and then walking that back significantly. Almost this bluster, like, yeah, I gave him what's for. and We talked about like it's like a teenager making a statement that they can't actually potentially back up with a friend. If that's true, why do we think Rob Anderson or anybody else on that senior staff would have acted any differently, right? They probably would have engaged in the same bullshit games. I can easily see a senior staff person for Danielle Smith walking into a room and saying – Oh, these prosecutors are lying. But you know what? Tell you what? I wrote him an email, gave him what's for. You know, like basically I got to second base with a lady, <laughs> you know, the teenager thing where he's like, OK, it's bullshit, right? It might just be all bravado. It might very well be the case that it was announced in a room and there's firsthand knowledge. And it might be that it's bullshit because bullshit seems to be the name of the game when we're talking about this particular fight.
0: Carter, what's your your take on the strategy? And I guess it's worth noting, like we're still talking about this. This is the third episode um that i've been with you guys and i believe we talked about it on the first one we yeah. definitely talked about it last time like it's yeah
2: and we've done like four other episodes with zane and we've we've been talking about it yeah now. it's not we're, we're, we don't we're, we're still talking cause,
0: about it yeah oh those yeah because the yeah. baby's crying throughout them right yeah wait yeah zane is yeah. crying <laughs> time, Yeah, because <laughs> we picking on him
1: um listen uh Corey's not wrong this is a great strategy if it didn't happen um, and it 's actually a pretty good strategy with her with her base uh keeping in mind that a large chunk of her base thinks that the c b c is uh, justin trudeau 's lying mouthpiece. I can tell you that i 've certainly seen uh my fair share i I put up a tweet today that 's apparently been seen by ninety six thousand people um Elon I think your counter 's broken um but nonetheless you know how a, a large number of those people uh agree that you know Daniel Smith is is being framed by a, a, a mouthpiece of Justin Trudeau's. Right? Anything that comes from the CBC is wrong. CBC are just liars. Now, the rest of us in the real world um, look at the CBC and look at the the hoops that they have to jump through in order to publish a story like that uh, with anonymous sources, because it is a different level of you know confirmation that's required when you're going to keep the name of a source quiet. Um, then. You know, I think that this is still a true story. I think that the that that this isn't the bravado stuff that that Corey's talking about, and I think that because of that, Danielle Smith may have opened herself up to a, a world of hurt as she moves through, um, as she moves through this. I, I think that she's going to find that this didn't doesn't play well uh outside of her own base, um, probably in a week or two. So I, I'm less bullish on her strategy maybe than Corey is. Um, but she's, she's getting through it, except that she just, her continued ability to take a three-day story and turn it into 12 days, it's chef's kiss. Beautiful, beautiful work.
2: It is incredible the way she manages to bounce these things forward. Um, but I will say sometimes when you're dealing with internal enemies, nothing helps more than external enemies. So we know if we know nothing else, we know that there were people in Daniel Smith's orbit who were leaking things to the media, yeah. right? A, I think that's going to make people close ranks and say, how dare they? But B, all of a sudden now uh, you can point to the media and say, shame on them, tut, tut. Now we have an external enemy and now we're all sort of united again there. And that's interesting. Well, and you me, can right? s- uh, like I don't think we can discount what's happening internally and the dynamics that it might be. Driving. You can see oh, that even pop- with
1: Rick McIver, Rick McIver coming forward and saying that everything's going well within the caucus, um, th- it, that had me almost fall over. I could
2: not believe it. Yeah, blink twice, yeah. Rick link twice <laughs> I,
0: I want to talk you guys have both um you've both you've both mentioned it and i think it's a key piece of this is the um the fact that it was cbc who broke the story um and i want to dive into that a bit more because it comes at a time when and i guess i'm speaking with my former post media reporter hat on here where media continues to be cut and cut and cut um we saw today j source reported post media is cutting 11 of its editorial staff this was Comes after it was announced last week. Twelve Alberta weekly papers would go online. Um, the big old Herald building that at one time had 800 staff members—it's been sold to U-Haul after 10 years on the market. Um, there's a tweet I saw this evening about the post media layoffs today from a reporter who said they actually don't even know who's been cut yet. They're going to find that out tomorrow. Um, and I, I think that's like a key a key piece of this year is that I think some are framing this as CBC versus Smith. Do you guys think the strategy would have been different on Smith's behalf if it was, say, Western Standard that broke the story or if it was, you know, a Rick Bell that broke the story? Um, how does the fact that it was CBC play into the strategy? Carter, do you want to take first step?
1: Well, I think that, you know, so let's, let's, I mean, we have to look at the whole media environment. When, when Corey and I used to work at H&K, we talked an awful lot about the media environment. Um, You know, we used to talk about how Twenty five you know, less than twenty five percent share wound up with your show being canceled, right? That was Star Trek. Yeah, you know, Star
2: Trek nineteen sixty nine was canceled. It, nobody watched it. Only twenty two percent of the market I, watched I, it, and it. I saw that
1: the uh the new night court got a one percent share and is being hailed as a as a success. Smash massive hit. hit. Yeah. Um so the 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 whole media landscape has sh- has changed, whether it's entertainment or news or otherwise. And the the, the problem is that the only people who are going to be able to break news are going to be the, uh, you know, the CBC. Um, right now, the citizen journalist, whether it's the Western Standard or the Breakdown or whatever the heck, you know, these other things are, or the sprawl, um, they're just not able to put the resources in. And they're also not able to take the liability risk. Uh, yeah,
0: I was going to say that the lawyer piece is huge here, right? You know, I, I mean, I've pitched stuff
1: to to some of the smaller media and the smaller media just look at me and say, I can't, there's no way I can run this story because uh, if this is, if this turns out to be even off by a little bit, the entire, the, the media is lost, right? And uh, so that leaves, you know, an open field for the rebels and it, you know, and, and their false reporting um, and leaves you know, puts real reporting and real issues uh, in a really difficult spot. And and it's always going to be the CBC from now on, right? It's always going to be the CBC. There aren't, you know, the post reporters that used to be at City Hall, the post reporters that used to be at at the Ledge, you know, there were multiple reporters at the Ledge. There were multiple reporters at City Hall. And now it's kind of like one on a half day, you know, covering the the actual, you know, stuff that's happening well the stuff that's happening isn't often news the news is the stuff that you can't see that's happening beneath the surface and i just think you know we are a real bad spot for news reporting
2: yeah you know it's so true the the Herald building, uh, for anybody in Calgary, it's a very big building uh, for those outside of Calgary. It's on the side of a major road. Everybody's seen it. Everybody knows it. Over the decades, you could see it go from that's the Herald building to, oh, Herald and a bunch of other stuff is in there too, right? Like the, all of a sudden there's other logos and and then – uh, you know, I was last in there in March of 2020, just before the the pandemic really kind of hit in a big way. I was there for an editorial board. You have to walk upstairs to get to the editorial board. And my God, it was like being in like a zombie movie set. Nobody was there. And you just walk by cavernous empty spaces until you get to the, you know, the yep. editorial board room. And then there's like apparently the only eight people who still work at the Calgary Herald are who you're talking to. And And when I think about even in, you know, I'm in my 40s, but I can think about 20 years ago being in that building and it was buzzing. There's people everywhere, you know? There's just massive teams of people and I remember at the time people talking about, like, the, the big change being moving to these digital prints and, like, or digital production presses and, and maybe outsourcing it And but, like, it went from, like, that whole area was full of presses to not very much of that space was taken up by them. I remember that was the big thing and just to see this decline has been fascinating but to Carter's point... It's concerning because it's not like something else has come in that can yeah. fill the spot. Because, you know, companies rise, companies fall. But there's this kind of, I think, very chaotic, naive sense that we'll be saved by citizen journalism. But big media outlets are good. They have their place because they do have the the ability to say, you know what? We're going to stand up. We're going to do this anyways. Think about the Pentagon Papers in the 70s. Do you think that – Like an independent blogger could have gone up against the Pentagon and said, we're going to publish these anyways. Fuck no. You know, they would have been tied up in court. It would have been over before it began. You need the New York Times of the world. You need the Washington Post. You need the Calgary Heralds because these are the people who can stand up and put the resources in and speak truth to power. It's not just about finding the story. It's standing by the story and it's saying, I will not be bullied. And it's a lot easier to be bullied when you're that citizen journalist. And it's a lot easier to be spun around when you're that citizen journalist. Is there a place for them? Absolutely. Can we get by entirely on citizen journalism? Absolutely not.
0: So do you guys think Smith is using this to her advantage? Like with this story specifically, the the way the media market is in Calgary right now, Carter?
1: You have to broaden it. It's not just Smith using it to her advantage, right? Um, obviously I don't think she's doing a particularly good job of, of turning it to her advantage. She's only been able to turn it to her advantage with her prime or her, her core supporters who were already anti CBC. But if you look at what's happening behind the scenes now, um, you know, with, within governments, we, we don't see what we need to see. Um, instead we are, we're fixated on small stories or, we're, you know, um, uh, people will find small things and make it into a story that really isn't a story. And that becomes, you know, I think that, you know, guys like Charles Rusnell always kind of are kind of the people I point to for this. He will be distracted by some small little thing and miss a completely important major issue uh, because he's track tracking down this tiny little uh, piece of a story. And because there's only a few investigative journalists um you miss out on on the bigger broader picture of what actually is going on in government uh you know and and we can now see governments whether it's the city of calgary the government of alberta the government of canada that are just simply controlling the media by either releasing things out of order getting you know spinning when we saw just the spin just the other day about the the just transition where three of our top journalists at the post were spun on the numbers and they didn't actually report the story properly because they reported the spin, not the truth. And that to me, like that happens all the time now and government can do it. Opposition can do it. um, Campaigns can do it. You know, it's relatively easy to spin something into truth that isn't, that isn't true at all.
2: Yeah. You know, it, at uh, the government of Alberta ran communications for the government Um, At CPE, it's called Communications and Public Engagement. I oversaw a team of 324 people whose job it is is to tell the government's story. And that's not the only communicators in government. There were also the political communicators uh, that worked in the premier's office. And when you think about the resources that they have that they can marshal to any individual story, and you put that up against one reporter who's got to file three things before the end of the day – they don't stand a fucking chance, right? And, and I think that's a real tragedy and it's a real problem. And it's something that there's got to be a corrective some way along the way or else, you know, we're in a lot of trouble because you can talk about things like transparency and openness in government. I'll tell you something. There used to be times we would put things on the government portal in terms of like severances that are paid, you know, the compensation, the number of people on the sunshine list. And in, you know, in my early years there, we'd be like waiting for the reporter to come in and say, okay, like, this just dropped within a few hours, we're going to get a phone call about it, we're going to have to have answers, we're going to have to have key messages. Fast forward four years, we dropped those things, no reporter called. There were no questions. Nobody has the time to be digging through that open data. You, you've, you've got a situation now where people are just buried and they have no ability to, to put kind of that analytical processing on top of it to say, is there a story here or not? And tragically, too many very talented journalists are becoming almost stenographers for government flags who go out there with all of the resources in the world to tell exactly the story that they want to tell. And many great journalists stand up against it and try to get the other side, but – Boy, that those scales are getting more unbalanced by well, the day.
1: And, and the person who spin, like again, the spin, right? The, it's not just the spin of the story; it's the spin to the story. This is important. You know, I'm picking up the phone. I'm calling someone. This is an important story. You got to cover this story. You know, that in and of itself is shifting the way that we look at the at, at the government. Right? It's actually, I mean, if if Danielle Smith was more skilled, she could use something like this to cover off all kinds of other activities. She just isn't that – she doesn't have that experience right now. She's not skilled enough. And I think that we can see that in different levels of government where they're using one thing to detract or, or distract from from other issues.
2: You know, your, your question though was fundamentally one of strategy and as we're prone to do, we ignored it entirely and just lamented the death of the media. But – Um, In terms of Smith using this strategy because it's CBC versus another strategy because it's various outlets, I I think absolutely. I mean CBC is a four-letter word. It's three letters that are a four-letter word in huge swaths of Alberta. You can just say CBC and there's this presumption that they've done wrong to many people. And I don't agree with Stephen that this has only hit the right-wing base. I think CBC's integrity benefits us as a society, but hurts them, as uh, you know, on like these one-off bases. Because any footnote is seen as weakness or an admission that maybe it's not the total story. And so, when you have all the bravado in the world coming from the premier's office, you know, and they've gotten increasingly sure-footed as they've gone through the last couple of days, maybe maybe there's nothing to find. Maybe they're just convinced nothing will be found as time goes on, right? But you put that against CBC saying, well, yeah, I mean, we talked to a bunch of sources with first-hand knowledge, but we didn't see it ourselves. And the government's just going, oh, there you go. See, look at the damn CBC again. And I think there's a lot of people who are looking at it and saying, "Well, oh, they didn't see the emails? Okay, maybe they don't exist. And so the strategy that she's playing, I think A works in general because of the integrity that CBC is taking to this. And I'm partial. I like the CBC. I, I do commentary for the CBC and stuff like that and but i think that it's doubly effective because it's the cbc and not post media or the western standard
0: well yeah and i th- i think we're seeing it boiled down already to cbc versus smith and kind of people choosing sides including people who I, i've seen tweets from people who you know have have been on media know how this sort of stuff works and they're saying well hey cbc reveal your sources show where this is from. Like, that's not yeah. how this works. Yeah. And, and those, those reporters in those new, newsrooms know the layers of approval and like lawyering that goes into a story like this being published. But do you think that boiling it down to CBC versus Smith, who wins there?
1: Well, depends on your
0: audience. I
2: think, unfortunately, I don't, I don't I think, think it, it does. Is. I think if you're just going to take a broad scan of things, I think probably Smith. No right? I mean, that's that's the reality. You look at polling for, like, should CBC be publicly funded in Alberta? It's been a while since I've looked at that. Pretty low in Alberta, right? I, I mean, one of the things Danielle Smith has been doing as a conscious strategy over the past bit is picking uh, other other villains, right? Whether it's Justin Trudeau, deeply yeah. unpopular in Alberta, Jagmeet Singh, deeply unpopular. Hell, why not throw our Crown broadcaster into it? Why the hell not? And, and as long as you're You're keeping the focus on that and not the matchup where maybe you're on less sure footing yourself versus Rachel Notley. You're probably doing yourself a favor, right? Like one of the things – and we've talked about this in other contexts. When you switch the frame, you don't need to switch from unpopular to popular. You just need to switch from deeply unpopular to less unpopular and that's still a net strategic advantage to you.
1: It's true. I'd like to argue more but I'm I'm, I'm unable to, which frustrates me.
0: Okay, well – that's that's a depressing note uh, to to end that. Segment oh, you've really on. taken
1: us through the. You've really made this a really happy episode. You know, we've talked yeah, about death and dying. You're gonna die. You know, the
0: media is dead. Uh, yeah. Might as well end with the lightning round, guys. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, lightning round.
2: Do we still do this? Let's Because we Zane always said we. You did You know this what? For I Steve didn't
1: believe it anyway. I just know I you haven't said that. We're doing the lightning that. round for analytics. So- um, she's the one who really is trying to get more attention to herself right now. Yeah, because oh, she talks okay. more in the lightning round.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just the host here, Carter, and the lightning round is about short, snappy, yes, no, quick answers. Um, I don't okay. think it is. Lightning- actually,
1: Annalise, no, I, I disagree. Oh, the lightning
0: round. I yeah. disagree
1: with your premise. And I'd like to argue that.
0: No it's called the lightning round uh yesterday in calgary city council and ucp mlas had a meeting this is newsworthy because it doesn't happen very often so overrated or underrated uh we'll start with you Corey. overrated or underrated strong relationships between municipal politicians and provincial counterparts
2: um underrated in terms of delivering things for us who live in cities i mean it's really important and there's a lot of things that are below the water line it's not the iceberg you can see it's the stuff below it's super important uh deeply overrated in terms of politics in fact it's often helpful to have an antagonist at a different order of government for both parties like the the city can be like damn province and the province can say damn cities
0: yeah. carter you're going to ask me yeah, the same question
1: or are you just going to look at me? What are you going to no, do? No,
0: I, like, I just asked you the same question, but you said, yeah, oh, that's your one oh, word, okay. here's, your here's, one the word here's the
1: thing. Uh, one would argue that Bronconia's term was actually the most successful term uh, for getting things for Calgary and getting provincial funding. And he was fighting the provincial government every year of his nine years. Um, he fought He 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 fought for Al- Calgarians. He would tell, he would say, you know, if the Alberta government doesn't fund this, they don't give a fuck about Calgary. And you know what? It worked. So, yeah, you want to have relationships behind the scenes, but uh, that that adversarial relationship I think is has got uh for, far more value if you actually want to see things get done. Um and I think that that's that's what uh, Albertans expect is or Calgarians expect from their from their local government is getting things done. And and this this government um you know, hasn't really advocated. The city government hasn't really advocated for anything uh, from the provincial government, which I think is a a significant oversight.
0: Carter, you didn't answer the question: overrated or underrated?
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 we don't have to answer the question, right? Like Corey, like <laughs> has she
2: seen the show yeah. before? Or? No, she gets to ask the questions. We yeah, get I, to say things. Like then- we talked okay. about this
1: the other day about you know you don't have to accept the premise of the question, didn't we? I mean, Annalise, what's this media background next, you're bringing to this?
0: We're ne- next one, Carter. We're uh, oh, okay. we're next one. Lightning round, okay, short and sweet. Okay. Uh, this. I don't know if you guys got this. Keeping Alberta affordable pamphlets in the mail. Um. Mm. So little brochure, got it in the mail today. It's from the government of Alberta. It says keeping Alberta affordable on it. And then there's a little tagline, saving you money for what really matters. Uh, there's some pictures on it. There's like some seniors, a nurse, a guy in a hard hat, a family, maybe playing games, eating some French fries. Anyways, lightning round question. Uh, there's an election in a few months. Yes, no. Does this work?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a question that we often struggled with. I can think of a couple of things that were put out in my time there under both the UCP and the NDP, these direct mail pieces that drop, and how much does it change people's attention or minds? Sometimes it invites a lot of backlash. I can think when there was the rate cap that was introduced on electricity, there was like the whole province was sort of carpeted with, if you're on the RRO, the regulated rate option, it's capped at, you know, these number of cents. And... I don't know. I never really got the sense. Like you you get a lot of like negative feedback from the people who see it and think it's bad policy or whatnot. Um, But it's it's tough to measure and it's tough to disaggregate unless you're getting deep polling in there. I don't think it hurts. I mean ultimately so much of what we do should be measured but is fundamentally based on a sound theory. It's the theory of communication, which is if you say a message – and you say it enough times and you say it at a high enough quality, you change people's minds, right? Now, you can argue about the quality, but I think that they're trying to do their volume game and they're doing their message game when they drop something like that. I, I will say – and I haven't seen the piece besides the fact that you, you waved it in front of us on this audio yeah, wouldn't medium. Wouldn't it be great if we had uh, – like, wouldn't that be
1: spectacular?
2: <laughs> uh, but you know the idea that it sounds like they have even multiple tags keeping alberta affordable saving money for what you really matter like pick a tag just pick a tag that's just a pet peeve but you know they they this is the kind of thing government does it will be interesting to see how much more of it it does in the next bit cuz this is the second direct mail piece in a month we got one on healthcare and now we're getting this one i don't even have a mailbox so i just you know it's not going to shake my world but you know
0: yeah, just, just to be clear it is um it is government of Alberta it's not UCP why don't you have a mailbox
2: oh well, I mean I've got a community oh. mailbox oh it's okay like- but like I go to it once every two weeks, and I say, "Oh, this is the junk mail. I'm just going to get rid of it as soon as I am." Yeah,
0: you got to move to the northwest, uh, Carter. Your your thoughts? What the yes? The yes? The really yes well no done. question. She did a really good help. job
1: with that. She just, so she just went sliding right past the. You got to move to the northwest, hey? Yeah,
0: slid well, right where, past that. Yeah, if you don't want community. Annalise and I both
2: live in the same community. We live in Crescent Heights, and she lives on one side of Center Street, and I live on the other. And it is it yeah, an
0: north northwest? Is where it's at. Yeah. No way. Northeast. Yeah. Uh, Carter, your thoughts. Your quick on thoughts, the northwest or, or the, the northeast? Lightning round. The northwest, on, uh, for sure. I prefer the <laughs> yeah, northwest. Northwest. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. It's settled. Uh, last lightning round question, and it's just something that uh, Corey brought up in uh, when you were talking. You said, "Did you? Did I hear the right? Three hundred twenty-four people in CPE."
2: At one point, so when I left because we were slowly reducing the size of it, I think it was down to two hundred and ninety, okay. two hundred and eighty-seven. Okay,
0: so around three hundred. Um, my lightning round question is, uh, Carter, we'll start with you. How many journalists do you think are left in Alberta? Seven. How many did you say? Seven. Seven. Corey? Are we talking
1: real journalists or are we talking like the people who get paid? Because there's seven real journalists left in Alberta, and then there's a lot of people who get paid.
0: How, what's, a, what's a lot? How, how many of these other people are there?
1: There's like 70 total journalists, I think now. 70. Okay. Corey? Depends. Like there, 70, there's, there's okay. still well, journalists I would say with between like the, the Banff, Craig and Canyon, or there's, there's still journalists with like, yeah. there's, so depends on where you're yeah, counting.
0: there's like, there's like a, there's like two there, like, and yeah, then all, that the, all the, so
2: I'm going to say. There's
1: yeah. a lot of papers like that though.
2: Between CBC, between post media channels, some of the independents, um, I would put the number probably at about two hundred and fifty to three hundred. Would be my it, guess.
0: I, I I'm going to look it up. I I think it's less than three hundred. Oh, I, I don't thought, know the answer. Yeah. Here, no,
1: can I can <laughs> I jump in here? Bill? You know how many people work in communications at the city of Calgary?
0: Tell me, please, Carter. The the former city hall reporter in me just loves this sort of stuff. Please tell about me about four hundred people. Yeah, it's insane, right?
1: So, Corey wow. was running communications so, for the oh entire province. And at the city of Calgary, we have the same number of communicators as Corey had province-wide.
0: Yeah, and yet and yet, you, you try and get an answer out of them as that journalist who's, like, writing three stories a day where while well, you're waiting to find out if you got fired. And they just hand you from person to person to person to person, no, and they take days to get back to you. It's insane. No,
1: their job is to not communicate. Like, seriously. Exactly. Like, yeah. it, it was one of my great pet peeves. Um, I would I, – I mean – they were horrible. They are horrible. They're com- terrible communicators, and we pay them a shit ton of money each, and uh, we get terrible communications out of it. It's not like Corey Shop. All right, well, so, Shop was fucking great A baby. It was great.
2: I want to make sure people know that the shop that I worked there with there was, was. CPE is just a brilliant bunch of professionals. And, and really, like I, I know because we've talked about kind of the idea of flax and spinning and the cynicism that might engender. Most government communication is not like the prestigious political stuff that you think of that's deeply salacious, right? It is running programs. It's running consultations day in, day out. There's a mantra at CPE It's something I like to say all the time. You know, the people have a right to know and the government has a duty to inform. Those guys are awesome. So if you're going to slag the city, I don't know. I didn't have to work with them. I'm going to tell you CPE are the best. I'm not going to argue with
1: you. I think that CPE and, and before it, Public Affairs Bureau were both excellent communications. This is not a slag on government communications. This is a slag on the city of Calgary communications, which was amongst the worst communications I've ever seen.
0: We're going to leave it there. I'll leave that fight to you. (laughs) We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1031 of The Strategist. My name is Annalise Klingbeal, and with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan.